And so if you would please open up to Galatians chapter 2, and we will be picking back up in verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, and we will take it, (laughs) Lord willing, uh, all the way to the very end of chapter 2. We'll see how far we get today. But... uh, title today is Steadfast for the Faith. I think I've come, and as all of you have probably have come, to a a realization in your walk with the Lord. There are times in our life there is a steadfastness in our faith. When you first come to the Lord, it seems to be not so steadfast. It seems to be um, questionable at times in our early walk with the Lord. Or there are certain situations that come about that causes us to find ourselves not steadfast in our faith. It could also be the fact that we find ourselves not wanting to cut away or cut off certain relationships from our past life that causes us to bring an instability or a lack of steadfastness in our walk with our Lord. But there's also those who you walk with and are friends and associate with who actually causes you you to even be more steadfast. They just draw you to want to walk in a deeper relationship, a deeper walk with the Lord. Have a, a faith that just seems to be strengthened. Today we'll see that same thing. We'll see the fact that it's part of Paul's personal testimony. Of, of his, his, his understanding, his, his, his belief, his trust. With all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength of who Jesus Christ is to him. What he's put his faith in. Sold out completely. But even though he had the steadfastness for his faith, <laughs> we're going to find today he will be tested as, a, as an apostle. Just like we've all been tested as well. There'll be people in our lives that are not going to be so steadfast. And there are some who are. But we're going to see today where Paul is going to be really revealing to him some of the early challenges. And remember, when we get into chapters 3 and 4, he's going to really lay it out, the doctrinal truth of justification by faith. And as we see here today, and if you remembered last week, he had to defend the gospel of grace. He had to, after 14 years, he went to Jerusalem once again. And he took uh, Barabbas with him and Titus. And he just wanted to come up there and he wanted to see and to to spend time to get to 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 really to really introduce himself in a different person. Remember, he was Saul of Tarsus, who was killing Christians. Now he had to reintroduce himself as Paul, the apostle who loved Christians, who was a Christian. And it was a completely different person. And people had only heard of him. Some maybe have had met him, probably in some really bad situation, running from him. But he had to reintroduce himself. And how many times is it that true for us? You leave home, you get saved, 
you're growing in your relationship, you go back to your home, and guess what those people think of you as? The old self. You have to reintroduce yourself of who you are and who you live for and who you, who you put your faith in. So it can be very challenging, as you know, uh, as Paul will see that as well. But remember, he went back to make sure, and, uh, and then we'll see it in the verses today as well. In verse 9, he, he found himself there with James and, you know, Jesus' half-brother, Peter, Cephas, and, and John, right? So the three of these guys, these were the, the so seemed to be the pillars of the, of the faith there in the Jerusalem Christian capital. He's coming from the Gentile Christian capital of Antioch, and he's going down there, and he gets there, and he's, and he's obviously seeing them. But they had this great resolution or, or uh, uniting uh, unity where there's in verse 9, you saw there was a right hand of fellowship. They, they came to an understanding that Paul wasn't out there doing anything different than what Jesus Christ had taught Peter him and James and, and, uh, and, and, and John. He taught Paul as well. He spent three years, just like the disciples being trained up before Jesus started that ministry. Remember, as, we, as he's coming in, he's, he starts his ministry. He, he brings these guys alongside him, the 12 disciples. He's training them up over three years before he went to the cross. Well, he took Paul, he took him out to the desert and trained him up for three years, sharing exactly what he needed to know. And so Paul was very sure of what Jesus told him. There was no question. It wasn't second or third hand information here. It was directly from Jesus Christ himself. So they had this right hand of fellowship. They had this agreement in front of the congregation. They all understood that you're saved by faith alone in Christ alone, period. There was no works there was no following the Mosaic law. There was no keeping of dietary rules. There was no circumcision. None of these things that they were trying to, in Jerusalem, they were trying to break away from the religion and all these traditions and all these other things that come from that religion and trying to mix and match. And it doesn't work that way. You're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It's a free gift. And so they agreed, they understood that it was all in one and in unity over this. And there they go, uh, Paul heads back up and Barnabas, they all head back up to Antioch. Now you'll see as we get into the verses here, that Peter shows up in Antioch in verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. <laughs> oh, wow. So... <laughs> this is interesting. So Paul, and Barnabas, and Titus go down to, to Jerusalem. And they chose to meet with these three, you know, privately before going in front of the congregation. Paul came down to, you know, there was no invitation for him to come down. He just came down. He wanted to introduce himself and, and to share what was going on up there in Antioch. He didn't address, and they worked things through, and there was an agreement and unity. And I can picture it. You know, you're believing the place that Paul would have said to them, hey, if you're in the neighborhood, if you really, you should come up to Antioch. You should come up and visit us. I mean, you know, we have a nice little place by the water. You should check it out, what God is doing in the church of Antioch, and all the Christians that are being, all these Gentiles are being saved, and what God's doing, it's a revival. 
if you can, you should come up and see what God has given. And you can see that. Whatever it was, because whenever that happened, we don't know exactly when Peter went up there, but Peter went up. And when he showed up, obviously, there was something not right because we see right in verse 11 that Paul withstood him or came in that, that head-butting moment, that face-to-face moment that we're going to have words and withstood him or opposed Peter. Why is that? Well, we see from Paul here that he came face to face with him. He wasn't skirting around. He wasn't avoiding Peter. He came face to face with him because Peter was to be blamed. Peter was not infallible. He was not perfect. He was a man just like you and I who can make mistakes. And Paul was sure enough of what was going on to address it face to face. He wasn't going to let this pass. It had to be addressed, obviously. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, right, coming from Jerusalem, from the church there that James, remember, James was the head of the church, not Peter. James was the first leader of the church down in Jerusalem. So these certain men came up from Jerusalem, from James, and he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he, Peter, withdrew and separated himself, fearing, key word, those who were of the circumcision. So it's very interesting. Here we are. Peter comes up. He's visiting. I bet you he was quite the star. I mean, he would be equivalent today of some of the top uh, you know, writers of certain Christian books and, and, and has the most Facebook uh, followers and YouTubes, and, and he's on command, and he's every, every week he's somewhere teaching at some church because he's got the name recognition. This is Peter, Apostle Peter. He walked with Jesus, and he's in our town. Antioch, can you imagine the people flocking this man, wanting to hear what it was like to walk personally with Jesus during those three years, to see him when he called him, how did he call you, what were you doing Peter, I was fishing, that's my love, that was my idol, that was my job, that was my business, remember, and you just walked away from the nets? You just walked away from your business and just followed Jesus. You left your whole livelihood and everything. You just walked and followed Jesus? Really? Yeah. What was it like when you found yourself just walking down the roads and hearing his words? What was it like to just have something to eat? Peter, was it true? Did you really walk on water? What about the crow? Well, let's not talk about that, Peter would say. <laughs> let's not talk about the crow <laughs> going three times. Let's skip that subject. Let's go on to the next one. When Jesus forgave me, and he personally said, Reputation matters. 
What was it like to see him feed thousands? And thus, hey, look, fish, loaves, and bread. What a, can you imagine the conversations going on with Peter and the people, these Gentiles, in, in Antioch? Then all of a sudden we find here that these certain men, these circumcision or Jewish believers from the Jewish uh, congregation, Christian congregation there in Jerusalem, have come and followed and come up there. And when they showed up, what took place here? Peter withdrew and separated himself from these Gentile believers. In the original language, he withdrew. He, he just kind of faded away. He wasn't available to come to the house and have lunch or dinner anymore. He used to always do it. Remember, it was habitual. We see that he habitually went and spent time with Gentile believers and had food with them. What changed? Why did he stop taking the invites and going and having lunch with them? Here's a potluck. They're having this agape feast, this, this, this gathering as the people gathered together, and they were having food, and they were sharing uh, the food with why did he withdrew from the Gentile believers? Well, we see that something about these certain men caused him to fear these men. What did he fear? This is Peter the Apostle. What did he have to fear? Did he fear that these certain men were going to go back down to the Jerusalem believers and tell them how Peter just sat there and ate like he was a Gentile with the Gentiles, like he was part of them and, and with them? And that somehow his position would be somehow tainted down in Jerusalem? His position of power might be starting to be questioned? Does Peter know what he's doing here? Because during that time, yes, we were seeing this Christianity being spread, but what was happening is this People wanted to have their own camp, this fragmentation, this separation. We're the Christians who come from the Jewish faith. That's one church. And then we've got Christians who come from the Gentile world. That's an Antioch. That's a whole nother. And we should have these. That should never happen. There should not be a division within the church body, the church of, of, of believers. There should not be a separation be, based on anything. There should not. And any time you and I get in our minds that says we are different, you've put yourself in a self-righteous position. You are now moving into what we call legalism. This church is the wealthy church. This church is the black church. This is the Hispanic church. This is the, this is the blue-collar church. This is the wealthy church. You hear it today and that should never happen. A healthy church will be a blend of what the culture or that community looks like. It should not be fragmented by what you see in this world. But the unity in Jesus Christ alone. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the unity. That is the love that unites us. And our diversity. 
We're not clones. We're not to look all the same and act all the same or dress the same. And all That is not, not, that's the world. That is some legalism coming in, some religion coming in that says you can only do and look like this and do this. That is how it works from a legalistic religious perspective. We're supposed to be united and God is doing a work in us and he's going to, to mold us and shape us and change us. But it's not about the outward, it's about the inward. It's about the inner man. The inner woman that is what God is important and what he's doing. But Peter himself feared these men. But it never stops with just you. For some reason, Peter was not steadfast for his faith and understanding that you, the Gentiles and the Jews, are one in Christ. One. It doesn't affect that because when you're not steadfast, it will affect others. And we see it right here in this verse, in verse 13. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with the hypocrisy. Peter, a leader of the church starting to move away from the true gospel of grace, going back into this fragment or segmentation or, or a segregation of what people, the enemy tries to do. And you notice what, it, what caused it is fear of man. The fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe, Proverbs 29, 25. Peter has been caught in a snare. But that snare caused these other Jewish believers in that area of Antioch to also follow Peter and these certain men. But then it must have hit Paul to the core when he found his trusted companion who was on the missionary field out there reaching these Gentiles, Barnabas himself being carried away or being moved or being no longer steadfast in the faith, but being moved or carried away by their hypocrisy. People who say one thing, but they live a different way. And that cannot happen. That should not happen. Your walk must be in line with your talk, which has to be in line with the scripture. Or it's just hypocrisy, my brothers and sisters. Can you imagine Barnabas, my trusted companion on the mission field? You're going to listen to these lies? You're going to live in a fear of the truth? Of what these men are going to say and do to you? That can never happen. But it happened. I mean, they were in alignment at one point. We see an act. We saw that they had the counsel. They were all understanding that you're, 
saved by faith. You're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. You, that's solid. Don't we, we agree with this, right? But then we find that how so quickly someone with some influence can cause you to doubt or to fear or to question or to because you don't want to be left out. Because you're going to miss out. You're willing to, as the, the word hypocrisy, as we know in the scripture, means a mask or a, 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 a mask or a masquerading. You, you pretend to be something you're not. Paul knew Peter. He knew Barnabas. He knew those Jewish believers in living in Antioch. He led them to Christ. He, he, he poured into them. He discipled them. He knew who these people were. How could now they sit there and say that they believed in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation to now say, yeah, we probably should be keeping the dietary rules of the Mosaic law. Yeah, I think our brothers over there should be circumcised. Yeah, I think we need to change some rules around here and we should probably be worshiping on a certain day. Yeah, I think we should probably keep some of the traditions and bring those back in. I think people will really kind of feel warm and feel homey and feel fuzzy because we really like those traditions. Even though they didn't believe it. Because that's exactly what these certain men were doing. These Judaizers, these legalists were saying, you, these people are not saved up here. They may act like they're saved. They may believe in Jesus Christ, but they are not following the rules and regulations. They're, they're not eating the food, the kosher food. How dare they eat that bacon wrapped in that juicy sausage and lobster on the side? How could they do that? They can't be saved if they're eating that. Yeah. <laughs> we can. <laughs> yes. We're free. Let's have more bacon. But that's what was happening here. And it's not like Peter didn't know. Peter known that God did not require Gentiles to come under the law of the Mosaic, uh, the law of Moses for salvation. He learned that from that vision God gave him in Acts 10, verses 10 through 16. So Peter wasn't naive. He learned this from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the Gentiles who believed apart from being circumcised in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. He understood. But why did he do it? He learned this by the agreement of the other leaders in the church. We saw in Acts 11 verses 1 through 18. And it's fascinating to me that none of these people stood up except probably Paul. It says, isn't it interesting that nobody seemed to have recalled that Jesus ate with publicans and sinners, which did not conform to the strict Jewish practice at that time? Did you forget how Jesus walked? quickly we'll do that 
we will forget the truth and the stability and the steadfastness of our faith when we are put in a position of fear. Or position of losing out. And we're going to be challenged, I believe, more and more in the days ahead of us. That our positions at work, positions in your community, family, friends, are going to come against us more viciously. And yes, we will lose jobs. And yes, we will lose positions. And yes, we will lose dear friends and family. Because we will choose to stand fast for our faith. You see what's happening? There's nothing new under the sun, is it? It happened then. It's going to happen in the end times. We see that in clearly in the scripture. But we must be steadfast for the faith. We must understand, as Paul was seeing this in front of his eyes and seeing what was happening, that fear was overcoming the people who were the closest to them. How could this, be, this behavior? P- Peter is so, so consistent, isn't he? Here's a man who was, you know, his behavior was just like this dominant, go get it, let's just, let's conquer and ask questions later kind of attitude, right? His convictions were so powerful, but his courage didn't line up with it. I'm going to walk on water, here I come. But then all of his courage, once he understood the waves and the, and the, and the wind and stuff, and he started sinking. Remember, in Matthew, Jesus said to him, you know, you're going to scatter on me here. He's, oh, not me. I would not do that. His convictions were right, but his courage didn't line up. His follow through didn't line up. Remember, Peter, here they come. They're coming to get Jesus in the middle of the night. It's going to arrest him. Peter's conviction was right on. Give me a sword, and he cut off the ear of Malchus, the high priest. There goes the ear. Gone. Jesus said, you didn't need to do that. But here's the same man that just moments later denied Jesus. So many times our convictions is what we want to do for the Lord and to be steadfast for the faith. quickly fade when you're put in a position of actually having to do something for the Lord. To actually follow through with that. Because it's not convenient. Because you are going to be persecuted. Because your friends and family have chosen not to do what God has called you to do. And what will happen, my brothers and sisters, is that your decision will affect others. People look up to you, especially if you're in a position of leadership of a house, of a church. Because if you choose to not be steadfast for the faith, others will go with you. They will follow you. And that's why we have to be unbearable. We have to be like Paul. You're willing to steadfast and with just withstood and stay and, and just stand belly to belly, toe to toe, head butt head, ready to I'm ready to have that conversation because what you're just doing, it is against the word of God. 
that me and my house need to serve the Lord and your behavior in this house is not acceptable. And we must respect that. It's absolutely critical. Because Paul wasn't perfect, as we know. We know the scriptures, right? If you go back, I think it's Romans 7. Paul even struggled with this. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. He says, I want to do the right thing, but I struggle and I don't do the right thing. And, and I don't, I don't want to do those things, but I, they're stuck with me. In the flesh, it can be very frustrating. A spiritual warfare between the spirit and the flesh. But we have got to continue to be steadfast to the faith. We can't be wavered on it. Regardless of who comes and how well-known they are. Did you hear such and such preach? Yeah, I, I, I believe that. Well, did you check it with the scriptures first? Oh, this movie star got saved and listen to what they're saying. Did you check it against the scriptures first? My favorite band got... Did you check it with the scriptures first? Yes, even if grandma and grandpa says something, did you check it based on the scriptures? This was amazing. Someone so close to Paul. Walking with Paul. Serving with Paul. Remember, Barnabas is the one who went out and got Paul to come back to Antioch because of this, what God was doing. And he, he just knew Paul was the one God needed to be part of this, this revival and movement and training people. Barnabas was the one who went out and got Paul. They were close. To help him in the ministry. But the defection of Barabbas must have cut Paul right to the core. But then Paul continues in verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward, about the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Now, keep in mind, Paul is not sitting here and being petty. He's not sitting here and looking in front of all of them, the, the congregation. So here we are, Paul is bringing these people right in front of the congregation. He says, this, what you're doing is affecting the entire congregation. And because it's affecting the congregation as a whole, I'm going to publicly bring you in front of the congregation because I need everyone to understand what's going on here because you have way too much influence over the people. So he brings them in front of it, it says here, because he recognized they weren't straightforward. They're not being honest. They were, they were wishy-washy when it comes to the truth of the gospel. There was like 99% what coming out of their mouth was accurate and true. It was the 1%. The little hints. Oh, yes, we need to love Jesus, brother. Yes, we're saved by faith, 
in Jesus Christ alone and what he's done in the cross. So, yes, brother, we agree with that. But you can't do this and you can't do that. And you need to dress like this and you need to get rid of that. And you need to be in a suit and you need to have short haircut. And you, can, you can't have tattoos. And it goes on this litany of things that are just subtle little conversations around. Paul recognized that they were not being subtle enough because the spirit of God showed Paul that they weren't being straightforward when it came to the truth of the gospel. They were adding to the gospel. And he called them, he called them out right there in front. This wasn't some wishy-washy little conversation Paul was talking about. It wasn't regarding the seating arrangements at the church potluck. How do they, why do they get the, the, the table in front of by the ch- where all the food is? Why do they get to go first and go in at the potluck before everybody else? It wasn't petty. It wasn't about table manners. Oh, the Gentiles don't have any table manners like us down in Jerusalem. Well, Paul's not being very good host here, Peter. I think you're a better host than 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 Paul. But it wasn't even about the sensitivity to another brother's conscience about not eating something or eating something. That's not wasn't the issue here. They were not being straightforward. They were starting to add to the gospel of grace. Back into legalism. Back into adding do's and don'ts and regulations. And these certain men from James and Peter and Barnabas and the rest of the Jews of the the church of Antioch would not eat with these Gentile Christians. Basically what they're saying to these people, that these Gentiles are unsaved unbelievers. And Paul recognized it and he called it out and he did not let it go by. Because Paul understood It was as loud and as clear as can be that these people were trying to put a bondage back on these people with kosher diet and circumcision and whatever else they wanted to add. You know you are not up here keeping the festivals and the feasts and the rituals and the dress up here. You really need to learn from us down from down here. We must do and be under the law of Moses. And Paul said, absolutely not. That can't happen. You guys have no longer said fast to the folks. You understood it. You believed it. But why are you changing? Why are you going back to the old way? And Paul had to expose the hypocrisy because sometimes hypocrisy is not very clear. People can actually lie to you for a year or more. Pretending there's something they're not. And they do it by keeping just enough distance away from you. Not showing up for things. Not willing to be engaged in a deeper conversation in any way. Oh, let's talk about the Buffalo and Syracuse and how they're going to win. They'll talk all day about that. 
But you talk about the deeper things of Christ and, and their walk. And you don't, you don't have those conversations because they can't allow you to have those conversations. Because then maybe they'll be exposed of really what their belief or not, lack of belief or unsteadfastness to their faith. But Paul wasn't going to tolerate that. He wanted to bring that to light. And so in verses 15 through 21, he actually lays this out very clearly for everyone in regards to the truth. He says right here in verse 15, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Remember, the Jews believe Gentiles are just flat out dogs. They're just sinners and there's no good in, at all with these people. And so when you've been raised, your life being told by generation upon generation, a certain group of people are just nothing but nothing, and they're good for nothing, and they're dogs, and you've been told that for a long time. And now you come to Christ and realize, no, we're all equal. We're all this, God created us in his image, and we're all equal in the eyes of God. There's no difference in us. We're all children of God. It takes a, some time, I understand, to get that moved and transformed in your mind to be trans um, to be transformed but it can only be transformed by what the reading of the word of God and so we're going back to the truth to make those 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 things that were planted in your heads or through the teachings or the music or whatever that was planted in your computer there has to be reprogrammed and so he understands this but these people understood the truth but they still chose to out of fear to go back into something they should not have done to sway from the truth there. But he says, we were, we were Jews for, by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. He said, there, guys, we were raised in the law. I, I taught the law. I was keeping people accountable to the law. If anybody knows the law, I know the law. But what the law does is it doesn't save you. It doesn't justify you. It just brought to light how wicked of a sinner we are. But these Gentiles, they, didn't, they weren't raised with the law. They didn't have anything pointing out to them the sins of their life that needed to be changed. So wait a minute, why are you holding them to some standard that we couldn't even keep following the law? Can't be justified by the law. Paul knew it. He grew up as an observant Jew. He followed it to the T. He even taught it. People came to him. He taught other people. Even those who have the most strictest of religious, following the religious and following every rule of that religion and follow it to a T, knows they cannot be saved because they don't, they're not perfect and they can't follow all the rules perfectly. And that's why he said, we're not justified by being under the law of Moses, but by faith in Jesus. And Peter and Barabbas, or Barnabas, I should say, 
and the rest of these Jewish believers, you walking away and, and declaring these Gentiles as being unbelievers because they don't follow the religious, religious and legalistic rules that you've set, you're wrong. Not these believers. You're wrong. You need to repent. You need to change. No flesh shall be justified by what you did for God, what you're doing for God, or what you offer to God. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's a free gift. It's in the, we put our faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. You can't go to the cross. You can't do that many good works to earn, to get your sins to be wiped away. And Paul is sitting here saying, I can't believe what I'm seeing in front of me here. How am I going to get across to these people? But only by teaching them back to the basics. He takes them back to the basics here in verses 17. But if while we seek to be justified by faith, we ourselves are also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. See, Paul understood here. If we seek to be justified by Christ on how all these good works and all these rules and rituals that we've kept and to the T, that somehow that has made us justified, then what do we find ourselves here? Are we saying that Christ, therefore, is a minister of sin, that, that we're able to to, to, it's like a two pendulum, right? You have all these rituals and regulations on one side, and then you're sitting there saying, we don't have to follow anything, and we don't can do whatever. We can live our own life on this side. Are we making, you know, Christ saying he's, he's, a, he's a, an instigator of sin in our lives, that we can live sinful lives and not be accountable? No. He's saying that we must understand, we must understand that we have been justified by Christ. That doesn't make us perfect uh, in any way, we're still sinners living in these, these bodies that are being transformed and being changed by Christ. That he's not finished with our lives. But that, 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 that we're going to see how God continues to work, and even though these Christians still struggle with sin, how, could they have, how can we really say we've been accepted by God if we still have sin in our lives? And that's a struggle that I think every Christian goes through. I've given my life to Christ. I, I, I expect all my sins to just go away. I'll never sin again. And I'll, I'll never have any of these struggles or these, these lustful thoughts or the pride of life and all these things I struggled with prior to coming to Christ. I think they're all supposed to just go away, right? And so many people come after getting saved and say, Pastor, why am I still doing it? I don't want to do those things. I struggle and I keep trying to stay away from these things. Why don't they just go away? Can't God just take my brain out and give me a new brain so I don't have all these new thoughts and I don't have any of the past thoughts? I don't know if I've been accepted by God because why do I continue to want to sin? 
to remember Christ is not a minister of sin. He does not allow you to sin. But you have to remember Jesus is still working in you. His work of making you right with God, apparently, we have to understand if God justifies bad people, what is the point of being good? That's a kind of a question we, we struggle with. Can't we do as we like and live as we please because we've been saved? And that's why Paul says, certainly not. You've been justified based on what Christ has done on the cross. And, and because of what he's done on the cross and you believe and trust in his work on the cross to pay for the penalty of your sins, you've been saved. Your sin has been wiped away. But that doesn't give you the, the, the freedom to go out and just, Christ didn't give you the freedom now to go out and just sin as much as you want because you've been saved. He's going to start doing a work in you where you desire not to go do those things. Before you were completely convicted at times around that sin and you knew right and wrong in many respects. You know you shouldn't be doing it. You kept it hidden. You didn't want people to know. But now you try to even think about doing sin. It's like you're convicted. You realize, I can't do that. Or if you did fall to that sin, you're convicted and you realize, oh, it just turns my stomach. I hate that sin. I don't want that to do anymore. Why? Because Christ has come inside you. Christ lived through that sinful moment at that point. And the Spirit of God is now convicting you and is changing you, molding you, and shaping you to, to walk you away from those desires of sin. And they just fade away because as a child of God, he's going to walk you to the light, walk you to the truth, walk you according to his way and not according to your flesh or according to the world. Paul says, certainly not. We seek to be justified by Christ, not by Christ plus our works. We ourselves also are found sinners. We're sinners, yes. But God's not done with us yet. He's continuing to mold us and shape us. Because he's the author and the finisher of our lives. But we must stand, stand fast to the faith. We must not go back to the ways of men. Verse 19, for I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul here sits here and makes a very bold statement saying that he had died to the law. But if he had died to the law, then it is impossible for the law to be the way it used to be in his life. And no longer the law has the, the control over him. Christ has control over him. But notice that it wasn't the law that was dead. The law reflects in its context. It reflects the holy heart and character of God. So the law is not bad. There's nothing wrong with the law. But it wasn't the law that died, but it was Paul that died to the law. How did Paul die to the law is the next question. 
I, through the law, died to the law. The law itself killed Paul. It showed him that he never could live up to the law and fulfill its holy standard. For the longest time, Paul knew Jesus. He thought God would accept him because of his law keeping. If I keep the law and I go punish people who are straying away from the law and force them to, to follow the law, that somehow God is going to reward me and love me more. But he came to the point where he realized and understood that the law and understood it in the way that Jesus explained it on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. Paul realized that the law made him guilty before God, not justified before God. And this sense of guilt that would have come upon Paul and in this understanding of what God says, he says, he realized that, 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 that he, he had to be dead to this law. He had to die of that law and he had to keep his, his eyes on Jesus and follow Jesus and how he walked and how he lived. Paul understood better than anybody else that the law did not save him. It actually showed how wicked he really is. And it wasn't the answer. And because Paul died to the law, he then could live to God. And as long as he still tried to justify himself before God by keeping the law or keeping religious rules and regulations and following these this traditional fest, feasts and all these things. If you continue to do that, Paul says, if you continue to do that, you'll get the same outcome that I did. You will still not be complete. You will not have a life in Jesus. It will hinder your walk with him. And that's why Paul said, I had to die the law. I had to be crucified with Christ. It's, it's his swapping. He understood when Christ went to the cross, he went to the cross. When Christ went and was buried, he was buried. When Christ was resurrected, <coughs> he was resurrected in a new life. He had to see himself a oneness with Christ. Paul realized that on the cross there was this great exchange that occurred. He could now give it, put away that, give the, the best shot and the best try and, and try to be right before God by the law and life and realize that it didn't work. He understood that's not what Christ in, in had for him, that Christ says, I'm going to die for you. I'm the one that's going to do the work. I'm the one that's going to go to the cross and be crucified for you. And when Paul realized it was all about Christ and what he did, Jesus gave Paul his life. Christ came to live in him. It wasn't about his life anymore. It wasn't about him and his self-righteousness and his selfishness and what he wanted out of life. 
It no longer was about him. He died. He was crucified with Christ. And now he has a new life. It is all about Christ. And I will live for him. I will do what he tells me to do. I will go where he wants me to go. I will stay where he wants me to stay. I will be obedient by his word of what he wants and how he wants me to live for him. Because all I want to do is to live and to please him daily and through the day. It is not about self-pleasure. It is about his pleasure. And Paul understood that. That's when he understood he had a life now by faith. And all Paul can only imagine now is a new life Jesus gave him by that faith. You can't live the new life Jesus gives on the foundation of law-keeping. You can only live it by faith and faith alone. You must get away from the legalism. You must get away from these religious practices. Because the focus of this verse, he says here, is not about the flesh. It is about the faith. So many times I hear people talk about faith as like it's a, like a topic. Tell me about your faith. Tell me about your topic. You know, it's like a topic versus life. Faith is not a simply a topic about what Paul would preach about from time to time. It's not some virtue which you just practice occasionally. It is the central in all that we do. has to be your core. Because faith is what connects you so intimately with God. That he and you become, as it were, one person. I am now one with Christ. I'm one with Christ therefore Christ's righteousness and victory and life are mine and it's all based on right there at the end of that verse there it says in the son of God he loved me and gave himself for me the faith Paul lived by was not faith in himself it's not in his abilities and in his position. It was faith, not in the law. It was not faith in what he could earn or deserve before God. It was faith in the Son of God, of Jesus Christ, who loved him, who loved me, who loved you, and gave himself for you. So remember, Paul, of all people, was a perfect poster child of living a religious life. Paul's relationship with God was founded on what he could do for God. His faith was based on what he could do for God. Now, the foundation was what Jesus Christ has done for him. His faith is now based on Jesus and in Jesus and what he has done for him, not him himself. based on a person he was willing to put his entire life based upon 
who loved him. It was a person who demonstrated that love for him by going to the cross for him. And so Paul recognized that Jesus loved him. And when you hear that voice speak to you and tell you that he loves you, be like Paul. Have this confidence to turn your life over to the one who loves you. Because he's demonstrated it with his life to prove it. Did the law ever love you? (laughs) Absolutely not. Did the law ever sacrifice for you? Absolutely not. Did the law ever literally die for you? No. It was on the contrary. The law frightens you, accuses you, and it drives you crazy. But then Paul finishes here in verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He concludes this public confrontation, this, this, this boldness in front of the people with Peter. He was steadfast for the faith and he declared it clearly, simply for these Jewish Christians and, and everyone else who seemed to be swayed by these certain circumcised men from Jerusalem. Paul says, I'm not setting aside the grace of God. Because you have to understand that righteousness, what makes you right with God, what makes you, allows you to be able to boldly come to God directly and talk to him, was not, was based on the law, then Christ died in vain. There would have been no purpose for God to come to this earth and take on flesh. And that's what you're trying to tell these people by bringing them back through legalism into religion, back into bondage. You're saying that Christ died in vain. So Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. It is the grace of God that saves me. I will not be moved. He will continue to go on in his letter very forcefully in chapter 3 and 4 to make sure again very clearly what an understanding of the grace of God and the boldness you can have to be steadfast in your walk with Christ. I'll leave you with a couple of scriptures here. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We, he will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Psalm 112, 7. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Psalm 57, 7. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Psalm 59, 10. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister, Colossians 1.25. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, Hebrews 2.6. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence within the veil, Hebrews 6.19. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, 1 Peter 5, 9. Jesus, we celebrate, coming in to Jerusalem, and we will see next week as we celebrate his resurrection of what our Lord and Savior has done and is doing and will continue to do in each and every one of our lives. Father, we thank you and praise you, and we thank you for giving us steadfastness in your truth. We pray, Lord, that you will have your way with our lives, that we would be let go of our lives and to live for you. To please you, Lord, by just seeking after you with all of our heart and mind, soul, and strength. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord. I pray that you will do a, that work in them today. Continue throughout the week working in their lives. Revealing yourself more and more to them. The faith would be continued to deepen and to just be strong in you. Letting away and letting the things of this world, the, the religiosity, the legalism, the things that can many times sneak in with so many different venues today, Lord, that they would be recognized that that is not of you and they just say, we want more of you. Less of themselves, less of this world, less of things that goes contrary to your word. That they would just desire you and be in anticipation with your return to come back for them in the twinkling of an eye, Lord. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen, amen, amen.